So if you've got your Bibles, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 5 and we're going to read verse 13 to 17. But John is going to read it firstly in the ESV, which is a really clear translation. And then John's going to read it in the message version. In fact, you read it in the you read ESV, and I'll read the message, which is in the italics. Matthew five thirteen. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And this is, uh, is this on? Hello? Is it on? Yeah, okay. And this is the message version of it. Let me tell you why you are here. You are to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavours of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? If you've lost your usefulness, you will end up in the garbage. Here's another way of putting it. You are to be light bringing out the God colours in the world. So Bryn was talking about going and starting a new law practice down in Southampton. He has to bring out the God colours in, in a law firm. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you on a, under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to be open, to open up with God. This is your generous Father in heaven. Oh, there, good. It's there. Okay. And then we're also going to read uh, 2 Peter 1, verse 11. And John's going to read it in the one ESV. Uh, sorry, what did I say? 2 Peter 1. Just whatever. 1 Peter 2. Yeah, verse 11. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Oh, okay. <laughs> Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable so that when they speak against you as evildoers they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And this, uh, this is the, the message version of the same, same verses. Friends, this world is not your home. So don't make yourself too cosy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an, an exemplary life in your neighbourhood so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and, they, and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. Thank you very much. Thanks, John. So just very briefly, I wanted to reflect on... Like before we go into the summer and we all go and have summer holidays and sometimes we're around and sometimes we're not and sometimes we'll be on the beach if you make it through Heathrow or Dover or whatever it is. Okay, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the nature of church because Bryn and Sandy have just said, oh, this church is like wonderful and we love it and, and we feel the same. I think, you know, if we were involved in leading this church, I'd want to be part of this church because I just think, oh, I really like it. I like what God is doing in our midst. 
and so I want to, before we go away on uh, for summer and summers will be around, I want to see how God can empower me and how can God empower you to live a holy life. A life, a life that is pleasing to God. A life that is so holy that other people will just say, well, what is going on with you? Why do you behave like that? Why do you do that? Why do you start a law firm in such a way? Or why do you live amongst that with your neighbours or your friends? And what is it about? Why are you so, so different? I want to be, us to be empowered to live a pure life. Um, yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you're new, Mar Maria will constantly give me feedback on my sermon. And sometimes it's helpful. <laughs> anyway, so... <we're> gonna <laughs> Anyway, but we want to, how can we, like, not, how can we live our lives so that we're not indulging our sort of, like, our inner desires or sometimes, do you ever get sort of, like, fairly brutish, animalistic desires to hurt people or to hate people or lust or things like that? And you're thinking, that, that, that's part, but actually God has called us to live a different way. But God gives us some answers on how to live in a different way to that, how to defeat Satan work, Satan's work in our lives. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question to this. The answer to it is to put your hands up to both of them because the answer to that is both yes. Okay, put your hand up. Hands up. Okay, yeah, not yet, Steve. Thank you. Hands up if you believe that there is a good God who loves you and wants you to follow him by surrendering your life to him. Great. Just checking. Ha! Oh, okay. Hands up, okay, if you believe that there is an evil Satan who is prowling around trying to make you trip up and bring you death and despair and depression. Yeah, so the thing is, what we have to be, if there is, and if there is, a, we believe that there is a good God, there's a good God who loves us, who wants to draw us into fellowship. We have to know that there is Satan as well. Who is, who is prowling? He wants to make us trip up. He wants us to take us from temptation to sin. He wants us to go on that journey of thinking, oh, I really do hate that person. And then you just go and have a little bitch about them. Or if you see somebody walking down the street, you think, that is a beautiful person. But then you go beyond that to think, oh, and then lust kicks in. Wait, no, God is saying, no, that Satan is always trying to trip us up. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against principalities and powers. Satan is really in to try and mess with our lives. And you thought this was going to be a really light sermon because Bryn and Sandy were going, oh, just something really nice and happy and jolly. Bryn and Sandy are going. But what we're going to do, we're celebrating the fact that these guys gave like nearly 20 years of their life to build a church. And a church is where we do this stuff together. That the church is where we, we break Satan's strongholds over our lives together. That's the whole point. That's why we come and live together. Recently, um, I just finished reading this book, um, Live No Lives by John Mark Comer. I just recommend it. He's written a couple of books that are really good. I haven't read, uh, he's I've started reading the, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, but I ran out of time to finish reading it. But I'm not, I'm not even joking. I'm not even joking. That was the case. But this book here, I just grabbed it. And you're thinking, it's how do we defeat like Satan's strategies in our lives to make us filled with despair and hope? And one of the things is this, that... He, he talks about the, the world, the flesh, and the, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. It's in some sort of like old um, catechisms. Like 
the devil. Say, what is, the, what is Satan's number one strategy? Lies. Lies. To take us away from Jesus by telling us lies. Right from the very beginning, Satan wants to make us believe lies. Just like, you know, it's okay to watch a little bit of porn, isn't it? God doesn't really love me. God, God doesn't, he sees everybody else, but he doesn't really see me. And if he knew who I am really like, he definitely wouldn't love me. Satan's number one goal is to get you to believe lies. And how do you counter lies? The truth. When Jesus was tempted in the devil, in the desert, you know, and Satan came to look like, believe this, bow down on our wish. What did, what did Jesus do? He just told him back truth. He bounced it back with the truth of scripture. So if, you've got, if you know that there are lies that Satan is speaking of your life, the way you counter that is truth of scripture. The truth of scripture. And you could even, if you know that there are certain lies that you really struggle with, write them on a card and write a verse underneath it and stick it on a kitchen cabinet. Just remind yourself of truth. The flesh, when it says, we, you know, we're tempted by the world, the flesh and the devil. The flesh, it's not meaning, you know, this little bit of, you know, flesh here. But it's meaning there's like this inner desire. You know, we're talking about this desire. Sometimes you're driving and you think, I just, I just want to hurt that person. Or is that, maybe that's just me. Everyone else is... <laughs> Everyone else is just really, I don't know, but there are certain times and you're thinking, no, I, I, like, no, I want to think the worst of somebody. Or this, like, some fleeting sexual encounter will give me life. You think, what are we talking about? It's just utter, utter nonsense. Do we give in to them? No. Well, the Bible says is you do this, you fight them. You fight them. You fight them, you live by the Spirit. That's what it says in Galatians 5. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they're opposed to each other. And later on in Galatians 6, it says this. For the one who sows to his flesh will reap from the flesh. Uh, sorry, for the one who sows to his flesh will reap from the flesh corruption, but the one who sows to his spirit will reap from the spirit eternal life. Basically, the thing is, we, that's what it's about living life, coming to church, being encouraged. No, I'm going to make this godly decision. And the more little decisions that we make, you know how to save money? The best way to save money is not in big chunks, but in a little bit all the time. The best way to live a godly life is not to make one or two really big decisions, but every day just make really small little decisions. All the time. That's the way that we do it. That's, how, that's why it takes a lifetime sometimes. And you see these old, I want to be this old man sitting in a comfortable chair, like smoking a pipe. But, well, no, probably not smoking a pipe because that'd be really wrong. <laughs> and metaphorically smoking a pipe, you know, sitting there. But thinking, Jesus, I, I've known what it is to win in the small decisions. When the little temptation came to... I don't know, to not pay all my bills or to do something or to say something mean or to think the worst of somebody or to see something beautiful and think and look, look too long at it. No, I want to win in the little, the little battles. And I want to grow old thinking I've won the little battles. And suddenly I've, I've known what it is to become more like Jesus. So the world, the flesh and the devil. We looked at the devil and, 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 and the flesh and then the world. The crushing culture of the world 
that can easily destroy our souls. The pressures, the norms, the values, the love islands. I don't know what it is. But I, I came and I watched the... So I'm... I can't even say the word correctly because whenever I say it, my kids laugh at me. I always say, oh, are you watching Love Island again? And they say, what are you talking about? It's not that it's Love Island. So I've, I've learned how to say Love Island, not Love Island. But anyway, but the, if, you, if you look at, if you watch, I, so I did watch Love Island. Wait a minute. I watched Love Island for about, for about 20 minutes the other day with some of the young people who live in our house. And in the end, they were saying, no, this is too embarrassing, Dad. Could you go? Because we can't watch it. Well, why is it too embarrassing? I need to ask you, why is it? Because the questions they're asking are just ridiculous. It's all about, so it's hyper-sexualized. And then you have these, these pictures of, like the perfect picture of men. And then you have the perfect picture of women. And surprise, surprise, young people are confused about gender and identity. What are you doing? And you're thinking, so if I don't fit that hyper picture of a woman, I must be transgender because I don't fit that. And that's what everybody's, it's nonsense. It's utter, utter, but that, that's like, and then when I say something about Love Island, people think, oh, it's just, we're just watching it. It's not really affecting us. It, it gets into everything. You can't, there are certain times you can't challenge it. If you have the accepted view on things like, on, on accepted view on, challenge the accepted view on abortion, LGBTQ, there's certain things that actually, we've come to a place where we're not really allowed. We had Libby Littlewood came up, you know, talking about transgender, and I just loved it. And so Libby had this thing about using, she, she won't use the preferred pronouns of a transgender person. So I'm, I'm not sure about I'm not sure about that. But I think she has got the capacity to speak into that because of her history and her story. And what she found is that somebody spoke lies over her by agreeing when she thought she was transgender and they agreed with that and said, yeah, that's okay. And that it, it, it sort of like it built the lie in her life. So she's now saying, I refuse to, to do that. And you know, and I, I know people, and I've spoken to people like just recently who said, I'm not prepared to do that either, and I may well lose my job over it, and I'm ready for that. Now, I'm not suggesting that I think we have to take our own view on that. And I've spoken to also to Clive, who, who's got a transgender person in the world church, and he said, No, I've decided I am going to call them the pronoun they've preferred, because I really want to, to win them over for, to Christ. But anyway, but the point of it is that actually it's very difficult to agree with that because they have this crushing sense of the, the world is right and you can't say anything different from it. How do you counter that crushing sense of the world speaking to us? This, the church. That's how we counter it. So at 10 o'clock, if I said to you, what does spiritual warfare look like? I don't know, what would you say? I said, okay, let's make it a real question. Spiritual warfare, what do you think? Yeah, it looks like people standing out in the corridor praying. Anything else? 24 hours of prayer. Yeah, anything else? Worship. Okay, I, I think... One of the key moments of spiritual warfare is this. 10 o'clock on a Sunday, I need to go to church. Just by you being here, 
just you be, it's an act of defiance because there are so many other things that would be quite nice, quite a nice sunny day. Maybe we'd just go and sit outside and like, have a beer. And, but no, just, you, there are so many things. You, but you, we are choosing to orchestrate our lives around. We're going to worship Jesus. When I get up in the morning, what I re- the first thing I do, because actually I'm allergic to life without this, is I make this really big pot of coffee and then I sit down and I read my Bible. And then you think, that's not going to change the world, is it? It is actually. I promise you it is. They're little decisions, step by step. Step by step. And sometimes I read the Bible and I think, what is this? I don't even really, what is going on here? And you just pray and then you get on with the rest of your life. But that, that is spiritual warfare. As much as praying and worshipping and coming together, just the little steps that we are taking. But we do that as a church. I'm slightly lost now. Yeah, thank you. The world, thank you. Brendan, I think what you're doing is... Like is, is amazing because actually it's costly for these guys to go. Do you know, it's actually, it would be far easier and far more comfortable for them just to stay here. And one of the reasons why we moved up here is because Jill and we got too comfortable in Wimbledon. I was like, we I was working in this church and they, I got this really nice office. It's a really, it's a really nice building. And our kids had so many kids in their, in their little, you know, there are about 30 children in each year group. Okay, and then we moved up here, and the, the kids' work was slightly smaller. <laughs> there were five children, and three of them were ours, and that was it. <laughs> it's costly. It costs something to do this. Like, Tim, Tim yep, isn't here this Sunday, but, you know, we, we all know it, don't we? Dola, his beloved wife, died Saturday the 18th of June. Sunday, the 19th of June, where was Tim? We thought, Tim. No, but I'll tell you why he did that. Because he said, no, there is something about building something of the church. It costs something. And then I said to Tim, I I wasn't sure if you'd be. And Tim's response to me was, where else would I be? (laughs) What do you, and he didn't say this, but what he was in effect saying was, what, you want me to sit at home? What and just mope? What are you, you nonsense? I'm going to speak about Jesus. I'm going to I'm going to come and worship Jesus with all of my, on the today of all days. I'm going to worship Jesus. This, this week I was talking to somebody, and um, and as as a couple, they have defeated a porn addiction, and they've overcome the the consequence of a really serious sexual assault years ago. It's their story to tell, and you know, in, and actually they will, they will tell it, and they're going to tell it in, in due course, and we're trying to work out the right time to do it. But why are they doing that? But they're, they're going to share that story, the vulnerability of that, because they don't want other people to go through the same issues of shame that they went through. And where do you do that? You do, you do it here. You know, in the church, this glorious thing, the wisdom of God, that's why it is so exciting. And that's why it's so exciting, painful as it is, to send these guys on because you're thinking, no, go and do it again. Go and, go and replicate something, all that you poured in here, go and pour it in somewhere else. Do something that is glorious and wonderful. It's just a moment of, in the church, when we can think, no, we're going to love Jesus. You know, sometimes we're going to confess our sins to each other. 
Oh, that's a, that's a little bit hard, isn't it? I remember having to go to the elders at one point and just say, look, I just need to let you know there's something. It, you know, wasn't, it wouldn't have stopped what I was doing, but actually I just thought, no, there was, it, there was something in my conscience that I thought, I need to go and talk to you about this. <laughs> we have to, but it's the church that we can do that in. The early church like, grew so phenomenally for a couple of reasons. One, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Two, they knew how to do Bible studies with their friends. And they, if they had friends that didn't know Jesus, weren't disciples, they knew how to do a Bible study. And three, they were so different. They just lived their lives radically different from anybody else. They were countercultural. It was like this like resistance movement. <laughs> like, sometimes we just want the church to be really comfortable. It's a community based around comfort. But it's not. It's supposed to be a community based around calling. What's God called you to do? I read this thing recently when it said, uh, Jesus didn't die so you don't have to. Jesus died to show you how to die. I thought, oh, it's a little bit odd. But sometimes we, we lay stuff down, don't we? That's what God's call on our lives is. We lay stuff down that we can pick something up which is glorious and eternal. And the church is the place where God does that. How long has that bit light been on there? All the time? Oh, right, okay. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks again. <laughs> I think that was a mistake, the slide that I didn't put anything on. But anyway, okay. It's quite helpful though, isn't it? Yeah, God works in mysterious ways. And Ken. <clears throat> so just very briefly, these are three titles in here that I think are really helpful. The church is this community of deep relational ties in a culture of individualism and isolation. It is so tempting sometimes just to go off and do your own thing. And can I just let you know that in the vast majority of times when I've seen people think, I can't do this, I'm just going to go off and do my own thing. I'm not bothered about the church. I just, you don't see people thrive. It, it just, it doesn't really work because we need to be around each other. We need to be all ages, all grapes, all, all grapes, all groups, all ages, all backgrounds, all nationalities. That's the beauty of the church, isn't it? Whether it's a commitment, like as Brendan and Sandy have done, for a commitment to, for decades, or a commitment to a small group, or a commitment to care for people. The next thing that it talks about is a, a community of holiness in a culture of hedonism. Hedonism, just doing whatever you want. How we live differently, how we spend our money, how we use our time, how we engage with social justice, how we use social media, how we drive, how we do marriage, family, sex, romance, dating, singleness. And, you know, like recently, to be fair, we have spoken quite a lot about sex. We have just done a series on sex. But sex is probably the one for the generation of today will be the one thing that will mark them out from a, from a godless society. Our attitude towards sex Will, be, will just be so world apart from Love Island. It's got to be different. Nancy Piercy, who wrote some amazing books, including Love Thy Body and the book Total Truth, said this, what Christians do with their sexuality is one of the most important testimonies they give to the surrounding unbelieving world. And then just lastly, the church should be this community of order in a culture of chaos. I am just... So grateful that church happens every Sunday. You know, sometimes I, I really quite, I, I like the sun, but I like the winter. I like the rhythms of life. 
I like the fact that you can go through, you know, this process of seasons changing. And I like the churches every Sunday. I like the fact it just happens like that. I'm eternally, I've mentioned this many times before. I'm really grateful that when I said to Jerry, how many, I don't know how many long ago it was, but 17, 18 years ago, do you want to meet together? And Jerry said, yes. And we started meeting on a Friday morning. And then every Friday for the last 17 years in term time, we've met at, it was six o'clock, but then that was a bit too radical for me. So we changed it to 6.30. And now other people come and join and Andy's joining. And anybody's welcome to come and join us if you want to. I just look forward to Fridays. I am so not a morning person, just so you know. I, I am allergic to the morning. It doesn't, it's not good for me. I'm barely a Christian in the morning. I came the other day and it was my birthday and I was smiling and everyone think, oh, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> and I just thought, no, it's just my birthday. I'm happy today. But, there's some, it, but, it, but I'm so grateful. There's just there's that pattern of life. Christian community is this web of stubbornly loyal relationships knitted together, making this fabric. Like, Bryn is going to carry on as a trustee, so we'll still be around. Sandy's still going to carry on doing admin, so they'll still be around. They'll still be around some Sundays. But actually, we're knitted together. There's this fabric of life. I'm going to finish so we can do communion. Well, I want to read, just to finish, that verse from the message. Live an exemplary life in your neighborhood so that your actions will refute their prejudices and then they will be won over to God's side and be there to join in celebrations when he arrives. Our goal is this, to together as a church live such exemplary lives, challenging all the ways that the enemy would want to come in and distract us and live such exemplary lives that our neighbours come to know a saving faith in Jesus. Can I just ask you to stand? Father, as we just get to the, the beginning of summer holidays and some people going away, I thank you, Lord, that you have reminded us so beautifully about, Lord, your church. And how, Lord, when we come together, we learn what it is to refute the works of Satan. That we might live with purity and holiness and even chastity and all these things, but we say, God, come upon us. Come and fill us with your Holy Spirit again. Lord, we know that our primary relation is with you. And as we love you, and as we worship you, you build something so beautiful around us. Lord, your church. Lord, you said it's your manifold wisdom. It's how you... you you display your wisdom to the world. And so we, we ask, would you come and fall on us again? Holy Spirit, right now. Come and fill us afresh, we pray, Lord. Keep our eyes so firmly rooted on you. And Andy's going to come and lead us in communion. But we just say... Jesus, as we take communion, as we eat the body and bread, as we take it physically into our bodies and it goes down into our stomach and 
that we pray that we would feed on you. Let it be a picture of us feeding on you every single day we ask, Lord. Lord, we're so grateful. We're so grateful for all that you're doing. We're so grateful for what you're doing in our midst. We're so grateful for friendships that have lasted decades and will continue to last. Lord, we're so grateful that you keep our eyes on an eternity with you. And it's all about you. And there may be a... Maybe somebody here who... Or there may be many of us, you know, who... Our faith has not been paramount in our lives. We haven't really died to ourselves. And Jesus is beckoning you graciously and kindly and saying, no, come to me, come to me. Come to me, all who are heavy laden. Come to me, who are carrying burdens. And I will give you life. And I'll give you a life that you will not have understood or you're not anticipated. I'll give you a life full of meaning and purpose. I'll give you a, a destiny that will not last your lifetime, but will go on for eternity. But I'm calling you back now to a place of total surrender to Christ. Total surrender. And by taking communion, that's going to be the moment where you say, yeah, this is me. surrendered your life totally to Christ don't take communion wait until you have and let it be a moment of glorious wonderful celebration don't take it lightly don't take it unthinkingly but taking it with your heart bursting with joy because of a saviour who's at work in your life